1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: It's a sermon that looks at all the particulars of experience. It's like a giant one-point sermon in reverse. Uh, Some people call it a punchline sermon. It's like the Sermon on the Mount or Paul's sermon in Acts 17 or even the Gospel of John. And what you see is uh, the the speaker in whatever type of sermon, whoever it is in this case, Solomon, after sifting through all the data, he delivers you the punchline, the thesis, it all comes at the end. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life dragon will fall the mountains will move every chain of the past you've broken into all the fear of the lies we're singing the truth that nothing is
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Monday, January 3rd edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. From Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside, we want to wish you the very happiest of new years as we look forward to spending more time with you here on Grace to Live. On today's program, we'll be hearing two excerpts from Pastor Keith's Out of My Mind podcast, with part one being some special advice from Pastor Keith on how to have the best 2022 New Year. And then in part two, we'll be hearing some comments about the European Union versus the woke Christmas crowd. Now here's Pastor Keith and Hillside's Mark Stickler with today's program.
2: Well, Mark, today we do our end of the year, beginning of the year podcast in that season between Christmas and New Year's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby, Out of My Mind. Welcome to the New Year's edition of this podcast, where we're going to try and address issues that face you, the culture, and the church using God's Word to make sense of it all. This is podcast 069, podcast 69, where we're going to, over the next 20 minutes, try to unpack the new year for you, try to prepare you for the new year. So here we are at the year's end, uh, or...
3: The beginning of the new year, we can go between the two, and I think many people are excited as we jump into this new year. they're full of hope, they're looking forward to something better than than what this previous year was, and then there's others who might not so much you know maybe. They were really hoping twenty twenty one was going to be a better year for them, and it turns out uh it was a lot more of the same and everything just seems to not be going uh as well and so So, what's some advice that you may have for for some who may be rethinking their lives a little bit, maybe their relationships, maybe careers maybe Just some changes that that they're looking forward to in 2022.
2: Well, when you think about it, and you just touched on it, Mark, uh, the end of a year is a time of reflection. You know, people look back on the years. Some of them might be a little depressed, a little unhappy. They didn't meet their objectives, whatever it was. The career didn't go the right way. And then they're going to make resolutions for the new year, which I think is typified or symbolized by the evil Health club membership. People join health clubs after the first of the year, and by the end of March, most of them have dropped off and they've lost steam. And that's kind of a picture of what happens. When I look at the new year, um, I say go ahead and join the health club if you want to, but after you've invested in that health club membership, really before. Maybe you should invest in finding a good Bible-teaching church that takes God's Word seriously, that takes God seriously, so that they can help you grow in grace, so that they can help you shepherd your family, so that they can shepherd you. And, you know, the other thing I would say, and this may be counterintuitive, is to commit to reading a chapter of Ecclesiastes a day until you've read through it twice, the beginning of the new year. Wow. Ecclesiastes not necessarily
3: the most uh, joyful book I could think of to to start your new year out reading. Uh,
2: So why Ecclesiastes? Well, I know most people talk about reading a chapter of Proverbs a day, you know, 31 chapters, 31 days in a month, something like that. But I think if you're going to kick off the new year, you're going to find that Ecclesiastes, at least in my view, is one of the most helpful books in the Bible. And like Revelation, people make it more complicated than it really is. They don't read it to pick up the flow of thought, and they get distracted by shiny objects. And so they overcomplicate the book, and they overthink the book. Yeah. And I think some of that, though, uh, may be warranted. I mean,
3: there's a lot of statements in there um, that sometimes can be a little bit harder to understand. And uh, you know, I think at first glance, when you look at Ecclesiastes and you read things like vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and chasing the wind, uh, it doesn't really seem like this this book is really, like, Solomon really had much hope when he was writing this book.
2: I get it. And that's where people fail to understand the book. The book is Solomon's spiritual autobiography. It's a, it's his explanation, his uh, review of his previous attempts to understand his existence. And in his case, with his brilliant intellect, he took it upon himself to make sense of existence without God or without consulting the Bible. And so as he tries to make sense of a world without God, which can't be done, he starts talking about, if you watch this play out, there's really two perspectives. There's the the under-the-sun perspective. That is the earthly perspective, limited by our five senses, And there's the the above-the-sun perspective, and you see this above-the-sun perspective talked about when you you see periodically these rare happy statements about God and his gifts of life and gift of spouse to you. Okay, so I think that's starting to make some sense. Why don't you keep going with that? Okay, what people don't realize is Ecclesiastes is what some people call an inductive sermon. What is that? It's a sermon that looks at all the particulars of experience— and generalizes a single principle at the end. It's like a giant one-point sermon in reverse. Uh, Some people call it a punchline sermon. It's like the Sermon on the Mount or Paul's sermon in Acts 17 or even the Gospel of John. And what you see is uh, the, the speaker in whatever type of sermon, you know, whoever it is in this case, Solomon, after sifting through all the data, he delivers you the punchline, the thesis. It all comes at the end. All right, so why don't you explain what you mean about Acts and John, uh, or even the Sermon on the Mount? Okay. The book of Acts, you know, Paul says, you know, men of Athens, I see that you're very religious, and he starts making observations about their idols and about their people, and he mentions their poets, and he talks about all kinds of things, but at the end, he lands on, you know, God has looked on these times of ignorance, but he's no longer willing to give you a pass. He's going to judge the world through one man through whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. And so there's the punchline, okay, you're religious, yeah, you do this, you do that, but here's the bottom line, and that comes at the end of Acts 17. Uh, The the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you heard it said, but I say to you, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he says all these things, and at the end is the punchline, that the final authority of all things is him. The one who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The one who hears these words of mine and ignores them is like the fool who built his house upon the sand. And then it says they were astonished at his teaching because he didn't teach like their scribes. He taught as one having authority because he's saying, you've heard it said, I say to you, he's saying, blessed are, and he is the authority. He is the Christ. And the gospel of John, in John chapter 20, it says, these things were written so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on Him, you would have life in His name. But everything that comes before is to demonstrate that He's the Christ, and He draws it all into one final punchline statement, and that's how all that works. All right, that
3: that makes sense. Uh, so, how do then you tie all of these kind of inductive sermons? These one, pu- these one, uh, one point. One big punchline sermons, uh, how do they all tie together and how do they tie back to Ecclesiastes and to today's believers? Well, sure.
2: Ecclesiastes, folks, go. Well, sure. Ecclesiastes is one of the first one point sermons in reverse in the Bible almost. And what we see here is Solomon talking about his life. He built parks, he built monuments, he built cities and he found no fulfillment because he tried to do it without god he tried to uh stimulate his body and his mind with wine with women with laughter uh with education and he kept coming up empty and solomon what he did is he kind of acts like what jesus said about the samaritan woman you worship what you don't know you know he he not gave gave god a nod he does you know in his life i guess but he lived like a functional atheist, he lived like God was irrelevant, and that's the way many Christians live today. Kind of, uh, they treat God with this kind of attitude. I'll call you if I need you. I'll call you if I need you. If things go wrong, I'll pray, and you'll have to come rescue me. Now Solomon was a smart man, but everything that he achieved, all the things he built up for himself, his intellect, the education that he pursued, didn't change a thing. In fact, his living his life as if God didn't exist to try to make sense of his existence led to civil war in his country. He ignored his kingdom. He, he ignored his son who would succeed him, and his son he raised up to be a fool inadvertently. The book of Proverbs is his attempt to try to fix that before his son goes off. The, 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 uh, the book of Proverbs appears to be an attempt to fix that You know, he talks about his son, don't ignore my teaching, don't ignore your mother's teaching. But the bottom line, his son destroyed Israel and the country was torn asunder. And finally, though, before all this happens, Solomon is getting at the end of his life and he's looking back over his shoulder at the mess he's made. And what he does is he pens this book, Ecclesiastes, that records his mistakes for the sake of others. And in the very last paragraph and in the closing sentences, He gives the punchline, he gives the thesis, he gives the proposition that is the answer to life's puzzling dilemmas. I mean, he he used to lament, hey, I'm the king and I can't even make the poor be treated justly, you know, what's wrong? And as he works through all this, from his building projects to his, it's it's alluded to, his sexual escapades, his uh, stimulating his body with wine, all these kind of things, at the end, he lands the plane. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. These are the closing sentences of the book. It says, The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed that are are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. And then in verse 13, The end of the matter, when all has been heard, is fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty the entire duty the purpose of mankind of humanity for god will bring into will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil now, did you hear this last part here going back to uh chapter 12 verse 11 the words of the wise are painful, like goads. They they prick us. They move us. They they hurt our feelings, but they are given by one shepherd. That's God. And he says, beware of much beyond this. You know, the word, he's talking about the word of God here. And then beginning in verse 13, he says this. And look and listen to what he says here. The end of the matter, all has been heard. When all is said and done is fear God, revere God, respect God, and keep his commandments, whereas commandments found in his word, for this is the whole duty, this is the entire duty, this is the responsibility of man, of humanity, of people, because God will bring into judgment every deed that we do, every secret thought that we have, whether good or evil. And what he's really saying here is this. We can't know everything. We can't amass enough fortune. We can't amass enough education, enough wisdom to be able to deal with every situation and know the answer to all of life's questions exhaustively. But we can do so sufficiently. And and it's there in verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter, when all is said and done, fear God, revere God, obey God, And keep his commandments, understand his word, for, because this is the whole duty of man. Because God is going to judge the earth for good or for evil, reward or for punishment, those who trust him, those who don't trust him. And so what he's saying here is to make God and his word the priority. Honor him, seek him in all that you do. Study him, that's the law and the prophets. Make him the priority. Make his word your compass. You see, Mark, our success or failure isn't determined on what we achieve. It's determined on our faithfulness. God sends trials that knock us down that we always can't understand. Look at Job's life. But if we trust God, if we follow God, if we follow his word, uh, we'll have enough wisdom, enough insight to manage our existence and to live for him, to bring glory to him, good to others, and ultimately growth to our said. and ultimately growth to ourselves. I mean, think about it this way. When you look at what Solomon is saying, he's saying what some people said in the late 20th century. No one ever said on his deathbed, I should have spent more time with my business. No one ever said on his deathbed, I should have spent more time with my career, my politics, my friends. It's usually with God and my family. And so in Ecclesiastes 12.13, the end of the matter has... When all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of every man. In this new year, as you wrap up this old year and head into this new year, get back to God. Get back to church. Make all your kids come. You know They're living under your roof. It it may be the one thing you do that saves them physically, spiritually, and eternally. And at the end of the day, abide in Christ. Keep his word and he will do the rest. He will do the heavy lifting. And that's what thats what Solomon is saying. He's saying he tried everything else and realized there was nothing that he had that could make it all make sense other than God and his word.
3: All right, Keith, so this is actually one uh, that... I haven't heard too much about. And so uh, it's it really interesting to me because I think that the European Union loves to kind of uh, embrace that woke ideology. And so, uh, so what's up with the whole Christmas and their war on Christmas?
2: Well, Mark, while wokeness in all of its ugly forms seems to have a big foothold here in America, it's not doing so well abroad in much of the European Union and many European countries. And what's particularly interesting about this is, is that while Europe and the European Union, we usually see them as uh, progressive and very elitist, and and the United States wants to be more like Europe than it does itself, it appears that the European Union and many of those states that comprise it reject wokeness in all of its forms, particularly the racialization of culture. And oddly enough, the controversy, the flashpoint for this controversy right now is Christmas and gender. All
3: right. Christmas and gender. Uh, those are two very different topics. So, so how do these two relate and why do they, uh, how do they relate in this context?
2: Well, I know it, you know it does sound kind of crazy because it's two Christmas and gender. They are unrelated, but what they are related by or connected by in this latest controversy is timing and the woke uh, or critical theory inclusiveness issues. The European Union is headquartered in Brussels, Belgium, and their policy is made for the rest of Europe mostly by unelected administrative officials. That doesn't really speak for the people. They exist sort of in a bubble, like our administrative state does here today in America. They are disconnected and seemingly out of touch. And towards the end of uh, October of this year, uh, the European Union Commission on Language issued a, a, a document, a paper that was entitled European Commission Union on Guidelines for Inclusive Communication. And what it does is it's sort of a style guide for European Union employees in all their written communications like press releases, social media posts, speeches, training material, and stuff like that. And in one section of it, uh, the document recommends commission employees avo- avoid using terms like Christmas or time because Christmas is not celebrated by everyone in the European Union. Not everyone is a Christian. So instead, they're supposed to use terminology like holiday times. And these are actual examples, really. And also, when writing about people, they are to avoid Christian-sounding names like Mary or Maria, or John, and they should use words like Malika or Joshua. And so they are to use words that sound less European. And again, the document, you know, appears to be something like a style guide, but it's much more coercive than that. And as one news organization put it this way, while much of the document is comprised of language suggestions, there are some rules which are labeled as being mandatory, such as never using gendered language like policeman, or not using the term Mr. or Mrs., and always addressing the audience as dear colleagues and never as ladies and gentlemen.
3: Okay, so where's the conflict or the controversy in all of this? This almost kind of seems par for the course for the European Union to to put something out like this.
2: Yeah, I have felt the same way when I started reading the headlines and I know this seems routine to us in the US where we're saturated by this kind of nonsense and I guess conventional wisdom would indicate that Europe would be further down the road but as this controversy unfolds and continues to unfold the pushback has been very pointed and surprising on several levels starting with the pope and including Emmanuel Marcona of France. Pope Francis is one of the most progressive popes there is, ever has been, even appearing to argue for gay marriage over a year ago. We had a podcast on that. So he usually goes with the flow of the culture and conforms to the cultural flow. However, his reaction to this whole thing about Christmas and language has been particularly pointed, some would say harsh. He says he was saddened by this policy tactic, and he noted that historically— Autocrats and dictators have tried to censor words and control the vocabularies, but failed. And he compared this paper and its suggestions and its tactics to the practices of the Nazi Third Reich and the communist and socialists of Social Russia, who all failed to control people. And he added that such actions are doomed to failure and, and, and they don't last. And so he also noted that in Europe, Europe has a Christian heritage that cannot be forgotten. And the Vatican went on to say that such initiatives can't involve the cancellation of our roots as a Christian dimension of our European experience. And, and they go on to say, and I quote, We know that Europe owes its existence and its identity to many influences, but we certainly cannot forget that the one of the main influences, if not the main one, was Christianity itself. And with that, the European commissioner in charge of publishing this document retracted it. And And, tried to make the excuse that it really wasn't supposed to be published. it was only a draft. we've heard that kind of excuse before, haven't we mm-hmm. and so and so it just seems like now people are fed up. In fact, you know, the next person to weigh in was President Emmanuel Marcon of France, and he criticized the European Commission for its language rules, and he says he doesn't want to be told by anyone what he can or cannot say. And here's a quote. He says, A Europe that comes to explain to people what words they should or shouldn't use is not a Europe to which I totally adhere. It's nonsense, basically. And Macron further added that he's not willing to follow these rules. Uh, One European commissioner, Italy's Antonio Tajani, applauded the retraction, tweeting to the effect that long live a Europe of common sense because Europeans see this kind of politically correct, woke, ideology and its application is nonsense and when someone let's say insists on the odd pronoun remember it's a request you have the freedom to call them by their legal name and at christmas we have to remember the reason for christmas is christ and we don't want to be ashamed of christmas or jesus christ i mean we're being pushed around essentially by a vocal minority who insists on tolerance in a most intolerant way and you may just have to say to them look i'm sorry I don't do happy holidays, I do Christmas. Or you might say something like, look, I know you subscribe to a particular set of beliefs or a political theory, but I don't. And I respect your right to hold those beliefs, but please return the courtesy and respect mine. We can't let anyone cancel Christmas or Christianity. Because what did Jesus say in Mark's gospel? We need to remember this. He said, those who are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of when I return with my holy angels and before the presence of my Father. We want to think about that. Again, we don't want to be noisy like them, but we need to look at the world around us. I think this, this ideology is somebody has to put their foot down, however politely, in a godly way, and just say, enough is enough. I'm just not going to go there. And I think that's what you're seeing in Europe. And you know, it's not just France and, and the Vatican. It's Italy, it's Austria, it's Poland, it's other countries. They're just sick and tired of this because it doesn't make any sense.